people really look at their animals, their dogs as family members, and that's what we see here at the Grooming Project. I'm Phil Hatterman, and this is Dog Words, presented by Rosie Fund. Today on Dog Words, we welcome the Grooming Project's Director of Student Services, Betty Jean Curran. Dog Words interviews are typically recorded several weeks in advance of posting, so please stay tuned for my closing comments at the end of this episode for an update on how the Grooming Project is responding to the coronavirus and for a special message from Rosie Fund. For ongoing updates from the Grooming Project, visit their website at thegroomingproject.org. Depending on what podcast service you use, there may be a link in the description for this episode. You'll always get the full episode description with active links if you access dog words through our website, rosiefund.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, and Buzzsprout. Some other services, such as Spotify and Google Podcasts, either do not include the full description or do not always have active links. But regardless of where you listen, please download, subscribe, and share. In each episode of Dog Words, we explore the world of dog care and companionship. We Save Each Other is the motto of Rosie Fund, which simply means the more we do for dogs, the more they do for us. And they already do a lot. If you love dogs, you'll love this podcast. We welcome your comments, questions, and suggestions. Go to the podcast page at rosiefund.org to share your thoughts. If this is your first visit to Dog Words, please check out our archived episodes at rosiefund.org or on many of the podcast services. The mission of Rosie Fund is to provide humans with the resources and education they need to give senior and harder-to-adopt dogs a better life. We thank you for joining our mission. Today on Dog Words, we are pleased to welcome Betty Jean Coran from The Grooming Project to our show. Welcome, Betty Jean. Thank you so much for having me. The Grooming Project is a program that a few months ago I wasn't familiar with at all, and then someone at Bar K mentioned it, and the more I learned about it, it's like, how have I not known about The Grooming Project? So I think there's a lot of listeners out there who are the same as me, love dogs, and believe in a lot of the same things that are the founding principles of The Grooming Project, but have never heard of it. So enlighten our listeners. What is The Grooming Project? So The Grooming Project is a job training program for parents who have experienced multiple barriers to the workforce. So we train people who have children in the art of dog grooming. And the reason we chose dog grooming is because it is a living wage trade. It's in such high demand that our students who typically have not very much education or they have felonies or they have other barriers that have made it very difficult for them to access living wage jobs are able to do because it is such in-demand work. We have students that are earning up to fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 after two years of being out in the field. And just as far as it being a job that's in demand, not only are more people having dogs, owning dogs, that's going up marginally. But what I mm-hmm. think is growing significantly is how people care for their dogs. Absolutely. And I mean, people really look at their animals, their dogs as family members. And that's what we see here at the Grooming Project. And and we are 
Well, let me finish telling you. So we are... I'm just so excited to talk I know, I know. It's, the, the job training portion is part of the picture, but we are also working with people who are in crisis. So what we do is we provide wraparound case management services, helping people access housing, childcare, transportation, mental health, food, all of those things so that their lives can become more stable while they're in our job training program. The job training itself is six months, but then we work with them for another 18 months after they graduate and support them as they're sort of navigating their new jobs, if they need to find a different job, as they're navigating what we call the benefits cliff, where they start to earn enough money to where they hit that cliff and they no longer earn benefits. That's a very crucial time and we really want to support them through it. And we also pay a lot of attention to teaching soft skills, which is, I think, where the dogs come in as well. They're very helpful teachers in helping us reflect on our own interactions because they're so transparent Mm -hmm. and congruent, and they always reflect back what we're putting out, you know. Yeah, a dog's feedback is immediate and authentic. Absolutely, absolutely. So we utilize the human-animal bond to focus specifically on those interactions because it really helps our students learn about themselves, their patients, their ability to regulate their emotions because, again, the dogs are constantly reflecting back to us what we're putting out. And handling is a huge part of grooming. It's like 90... I'm not a dog groomer, but I would say it's a huge part of grooming because it's not an inanimate object you're working with and trying to groom. It's a living being that you have to dance with a little bit. It's practical. There's nothing theoretical. It's all application. Absolutely. So there is an immediacy of learning, an experiential learning component that goes along soft skills wise. And a dog, I hadn't thought about it in this sense before, is an organic biofeedback device. A hundred percent. Oh my God, that I just... Lost my breath because that excited me. Because I think it is. It's a total Mm -hmm. experiment on our ability to Because someone can tell you, yeah, you're a person in crisis, and so you're under a lot of stress, and you're going to be able to function better if you can let go of that stress and breathe. And someone can tell you that a million times. Yeah. But then you're working with a dog, and you're forced to be in that moment, to be mindful, and you're just automatically going to connect with your breath and start yeah. focusing on the dog. And then the dog's going to relax. It's going to help you relax. Absolutely. And it's like a biofeedback device. And you're going to then realize either explicitly or intuitively, I function a lot better yes. when I breathe and when I focus and when I yeah. let go of distractions. And that dog and that is, but that, that. That is a very long process for our students. I would say that 99% of our students that come into the program have some sort of post-traumatic stress that they're dealing with, or at least the toxic stress of living in chronic poverty or dealing with domestic violence and all of the adverse childhood experiences that they may have had. So this really is a holistic approach to, to the person that that incorporates the technical skills with the soft skills training and then the wraparound case management services. We also, you know, something that I really love about our program is that we're located at 59th and Troost. Because we're a school, we are charge only about 50% of the market rate for our services. And so we really serve people who cannot otherwise afford to get their dog groomed. 
So they're able to bring their dogs here from the community and to get some of those services in what we would call maybe a pet desert, where Mm -hmm. there's a low access to affordable pet care services, just like access to any other public health thing. So, And that's a business model that often is recommended for sustainability is to have an incoming channel and an outgoing channel that serves your business. And in this case, the grooming project, you have the students that it's helping, but then it's helping the community. Absolutely. So they're not just learning these skills that they can use for Mm -hmm. their professional career, but then the community is able to come in and pay for services for their dogs. Yep. And everyone's part of the mission. And so it's kind of a social enterprise, mm-hmm. um, and which which is really great because I think that the community really feels that it's it, it's a different way of looking at, it's, not, it's no longer thinking of it as like charity, like a one-way yeah. thing. It's really a model of, of social investing, right? Mm-hmm. I'm investing in my community. I'm investing in, in an organization that is, is it's, a, it's more like a movement, I yeah. guess you could, you could call it. Yeah, because it goes beyond charity. It's yes. almost this combination of being self-serving and civic responsibility, that yeah. someone gets a great service for their beloved pet yep. at a great price while also helping community members get yep. off of services yep. and into the and tax become rolls. successful. Yeah, become successful people that are earning money and, and mm-hmm. able to participate more fully yeah. um, in society without yeah. the barriers that yeah. they sort of and even, were born into. And or, not even thinking about... The fact that this is someone who's disentangling themselves from assistance. Yes. Also just thinking that you're helping someone who's going to sleep better at night. Yeah. Who's going to be able to do more for their children in the next yes. generation. You're helping someone break a likely cycle of these challenges. Yeah. So the reason that we only work with people who have children is because we obviously had to narrow down our, our framework. But it's because our mission is to empower people to break the generational cycle of poverty. So the people that we work with have typically come from families that have generationally been caught in the cycle. And that is because they are caught because of low education or criminal involvement or histories. They are only able to get certain types of jobs. Those jobs, the second they get those jobs that are minimum wage, they end up losing their benefits and then they find out that they can't afford to work because they no longer can pay for childcare. They can't pay. So it's like you keep caught in that yeah. cycle. And not breaking out of that cycle is not a sign of laziness. No. It's a sign of it's, doing it's, the math. Absolutely. You do the it's math, the it's barriers. Like, it, it, it's, it would be a poor decision. Yeah. Like you can't afford to work yeah. in that situation. It's like, so It's like, should I work and not be able to feed my kids? Yeah. Yeah. Or should I accept this assistance knowing that my kids will be fed? And you can imagine what generations of being in that predicament could do to somebody's self-esteem, to their self-concept, to all of those things. And it's a wonderful, incredible thing to get to watch these. Most We have mostly women. We've had some men go through this program and get out there and start earning a living wage and the the empowerment that comes along with that. And and then the way that that is then translated to their children. Um, If you grow up on a farm, mm -hmm. you're more than likely to become a farmer than someone who doesn't because that's what you see every day. If you grow up in poverty 
or you grow up uh, surrounded by crime, or you grow up surrounded by people without financial literacy, mm-hmm. that's what you're going to learn. Why would you expect any other way? And then what almost chokes me up, the room we're doing this interview in is kind of your uh, conference room. We're uh-huh. sitting at a conference table across from each other, and it has pictures of your graduates. Mm-hmm. With their children. And yeah, there's not one picture of a single person. Every picture is someone with one or more children. Yep. Yep. So it it is really a, a cool thing for them to come here and for us to, we get to watch this really impact the entire family. You talked about the different skills that are part of the grooming project. You teach someone the technical skills of here's how you groom an animal. Yep. You talked about the soft skills, which if they decide to become a groomer for the next year or the next 20 years, mm-hmm. or they move into some other career, mm-hmm. those soft skills are transferable mm-hmm. to any workplace. Any employer is going to want those. In fact, I would say a lot of employers, having been an employer and a supervisor or manager, a lot of times that's more important to me than the technical skills is someone having those soft skills. Yes. So that's what they're going to take with them. You have this holistic approach. What is the next step for a lot of your students once they complete the program? Once they finish the six-month program, the training portion Mm -hmm. where they come here every day, we help them find a job in a grooming salon that feels like a good fit. We have a 100% job placement rate within the first six weeks of graduation. Once they get out there and they start working, we continue get providing them with wraparound case management. So we have a really great case manager, court advocate that is just incredible at what she does. And it's really a teaching model. So we're kind of teaching. So it's really like helping people learn how to find these resources mm-hmm. as well on their own. And then we also just hired an employment specialist who will be checking in with the employers, getting feedback from them, bringing me that information, and I'll fold that into our soft skills curriculum. You know, any feedback that we get from employers on attitude. We never had a student get fired for lack of grooming skills. It's always been soft skills. Mm -hmm. So that's where our focus really comes down to. And If you don't have a lot of experience working in an environment that has these expectations of... You show up at this time, you do this work, here's when your break is, here's how long you get for lunch, you have to yeah. leave at this time, you have to do this amount of work, you have to give us this much notification if Absolutely. you're uh, going to really be hard on vacation, you're... or you have to call us if you're sick. Yeah. And when your mind, when you have been living in that sort of fight or flee or freeze you know, mode, survival mode, your life has been super unstable, it's really hard for your brain to sort of think in those terms, right? So that's what we spend a lot of time in this program doing is facilitating that cognitive restructuring alongside stabilizing the the material circumstances of their life. And you probably yeah. have a much more accurate perception than I do because you're much closer to this than I am, but I have this perception that people in that kind of at-risk population as far as career sustainability previously have worked jobs where if things aren't going well, there's the slightest conflict with your boss or supervisor, or you have other challenges like your car is broke down, yep. transportation issues, the job is done. Yep. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. it's like, well, this isn't working out. Yep. I, I got to go find something else. Yep. Or I'm making just enough to stay on assistance. Yep. And so if this job doesn't work out, that's okay. I'll just cool my heels for a while. Even if they're getting great soft skill training at the grooming project, mm-hmm. 
that's still sort of muscle memory in their new job after they complete the program that, oh, I have this one disagreement with my boss that the boss knows we have these disagreements. We sort these out. We move on. As the employee who's not used to that, you think, I had a disagreement with my boss. I guess I'm fired. There's no point in showing up tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or he hates me. Or yeah. she hates me. It's like, no, they don't hate you. They're yeah. just or coaching you up. Or you don't feel like you have a voice mm-hmm. or you, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that stuff, it takes a long time to sort of build. Those are habits of thought, right? Mm-hmm. So it takes a long time to unlearn a lot of the the habits that were built over time living in crisis situations. Mm-hmm. And it takes a lot of time to learn those other habits of thought that sort of interpersonal skills and the conflict resolution. And so that is stuff that we continue to work with people on and to coach them around because being in, in the grooming project itself during those six months, it is very much an experiential learning center. But once they graduate and are out in a job where people are less aware of like what their personal life is mm-hmm. like. And, you know, your boss doesn't really care. You know, it's, and sometimes your boss is in a hurry that yeah. they're handling multiple so groomers and they just popped in for a moment absolutely. and there's a, customer who complained and it's a customer who you there's no pleasing they're going to complain about everything yeah Yeah. this isn't about you exactly so it's kind of learning perspective taking Mm -hmm. and all of those things so this is an ongoing I mean I think this is a skill that every human is ongoing learning you know we're always learning how to navigate the social world Mm -hmm. right and so it's it's nothing new to any of us we're always doing it but what we want to do is just provide that feedback constantly and, and be a support system as they're navigating it and just be there for them when they may not have other social supports in their life. I would imagine a challenge you have in this environment is creating stress so that they can perform under stress oh, yeah. without undermining their confidence. Absolutely. Because they got to so be prepared kind of for that making, when they're in the workplace, there, that everything's not going to be perfect and There controlled. are some pretty serious expectations that we have of our students. And, and that's a lot to ask of somebody who may not have a place to sleep that night. So if we are working with people who are living maybe in domestic violence shelters, who have to take the bus two hours to get here, and who we have very intense expectations. We also are aware of the, the situations that they're going through and also working on the back end to try to help stabilize them. But there's like the social services side and the grooming side. And we definitely have expectations because it is, it's learning to clock in and clock out and to take your breaks on time and to be here on time and ready to work and, mm-hmm. and make sure that you're creating a safe environment for other students and, and all of our dogs and all of that. So there is definitely a learning curve. So that's where the experiential learning comes in, mm-hmm. right? So it's like having to work through some of that stuff. We hope that they can work through it and get used to those new habits in this program. And then once they're out in the field, having these expectations placed upon them, it's, it's first of all, hopefully their life is much more stable mm-hmm. by the time they're out in the field. So it's just easier to, to do those things. There's a value in experiencing failure because yeah. then you learn how to overcome it. Absolutely. But if you have nothing but failure, whether the failures are your fault or not, yeah. whether they're systemic or environmental, yeah. a failure where you've not had an opportunity to learn from it. To grow through it, yeah. Then that is debilitating. Yes. If that's your experience with failure, it's got to be a huge challenge to go into the workforce and experience failure. Yeah. 
and not know, hey, that's okay, you learn, you go on. It's interesting because it is a tendency for our students who get out there and start struggling, we quit hearing from them or or they won't answer our calls and it's still this sort of shame. And so we want- They're letting you down. Yeah. And and that's like the opposite because we expect it to get yeah. hard out there. And that's, that's why we realize that our program is actually two years and not just six months. We recognize the importance of that post-graduation phase. And it's just such a critical time. So one of our major values that we promote and beginning an orientation when they come in on their first day, we start talking about the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset Mm -hmm. and how important that is. Because I think we live in a culture that really, especially if you've lived in certain circumstances, it's easy to to get that fixed mindset. I am what I am. And, you Mm -hmm. know, failure just means it's a reflection on me and versus it's an opportunity to learn and to Mm -hmm. grow. And that's something that we're always working through and promoting and passing along. So it's exciting to hear about your success stories. And it reminds me of the interview we had recently with uh, Dr. Chris Morrow of the veterinary technology program at Metropolitan Community College of Maple Woods, who talked about how they have a 100% placement rate Mm -hmm. with their students, veterinary technology. And he talked about the animal health corridor Mm. in Kansas City and the region. And we're going to have another interview with him where we talk about that animal health corridor. So, If someone's looking for career opportunities, something related to animal health, animal care, grooming, Mm -hmm. veterinary technology, these are jobs that are in demand and they're they're not going away. I think there's multiple populations out there who can connect with the grooming project. So I want to make sure I... Yes. Hit them all. If I leave anything out, let me know. So there's going to be people out there who go... I want my dog groomed. Yep. So what are their options for the grooming project for getting their dog groomed? You would call the grooming project at 816-214-5376. We also have a... And I'll put that phone number in the description for this episode. Great. We also have a grooming salon in Lee Summit that is our incubator program for graduates who want to learn how to run their own business. Okay. So I want to learn more about that in a moment, Okay, but uh, you said that the first number they call the grooming project, the grooming project is at 58 and Troost. Yeah. 5829 Troost Avenue. Right right next door to uh, Spay Neuter. Yeah. Yes. We're located here. And then if you know of anybody who might be a good fit for the program, which is the second population that's yeah, listening, that they would need to have children or they're working to get their children back. They're involved with maybe uh, child services, but anybody who has children and who fits within our financial guidelines, so they qualify financially for food stamps or any of those services, we have an application online at thegroomingproject.org. I will also put that in the description. And then we also have a lot of opportunities for volunteers, whether that's people who are interested in working one-on-one with a student and being a budgeting coach. Mm -hmm. We have a number of volunteer opportunities. They can always contact me through the number that we said before and just say that they're interested in volunteer opportunities. And the other thing would be if you are somebody at a grooming salon, we graduate, well, this year we're planning to graduate up to 27 students. Last year we graduated 20. Our students graduate this program with a certificate from the state of Missouri in grooming. And so we are the only one of our kind within, I think, 150 mile radius of being a certified grooming school. 
And there might be people out there who can think creatively about how you could add grooming to whatever your business offers. Absolutely. Uh, that Doggy they're daycare, all, veterinarians. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not just opening a grooming salon. There's other opportunities. Be creative out there. There's great workers being added to the workforce thanks to the grooming project. You mentioned Lee Summit. Yeah. As an incubator. How does that work? It's a pilot program. So we're really learning a lot from it. But um, this has been our first year. We have two graduates who we got a grant and they are out there running this salon. The money comes back into the school. So the salon, it's just a functioning grooming salon Mm -hmm. in Lee Summit. And two of our students are running it. And um, during this time, they're also creating their own business plan. So I think they are going to be going out on their own pretty soon and starting their own businesses. That's not sort of my area, so I don't know a ton about Mm -hmm. it, but I do know that it's pretty exciting for our organization. And then the other thing I should mention, which is another development, is that we're building dorms about a block away for our homeless students. So we'll have these built probably within a year, and it will make things a lot easier for our students that are unable to access low-income housing for whatever reason, maybe evictions or felonies or you, you know, there's just a, there's a pocket of the population that really struggles securing low-income housing, especially mm-hmm. now. The housing situation in Kansas City is very difficult right now. We're really, really excited to have these little apartments being built. I think it's a good sign for the long-term success of the grooming project that so much of what you've discussed is dynamic and evolving, that mm-hmm. it, this wasn't just created as a static system and it's like, move people in, move people out, move people in, move people out. It's, oh, we realize that we need to work with our students beyond six months. Yes. That we need to have that. We need to get feedback from them on how can we improve the soft skills training. So it's... So we've adopted the growth mindset and we're constantly getting feedback where right now, you know... And how could you ask out of your students if you were any other way? Absolutely. And we're constantly... Right now, we're, we're really trying to ramp up our financial literacy portion of our training and our parenting program and... We have 22 dentists that we've got helping us through the community that see every single one of our students approximately, on average, our students get seen by their assigned dentists like eight times. And we've also got a group of lawyers that are helping our students get out of various legal situations. So we have just an incredible community, an incredible ecosystem, if you will, of support from our community um, outside and within. And it's just, it's growing. It's really great. I'm concerned that people of not just the population that you're serving, but throughout the United States and around the world, don't give enough consideration to fully investing in themselves. I think it's obvious that if I have job skills, I'm more employable. That's good for me. But you talked about dental care. Yeah. That's an investment. Absolutely. You take care of your mouth now You'll spend less time and money later on. Absolutely. Having an attorney resolve any sort of legal issues now will save you time and money in the long run. Well, yeah. I mean, we have students that come in that have 20 warrants, and we help them get through the program, get a job, and then they get pulled over for old tags, and then they get arrested for some warrant that's two years old. And so we're really trying to tackle anything that could be a barrier. And if the behavior that's been modeled for them is, well, if you don't have enough money to take care of this now, just forget about it and it builds up and don't worry about it. Well, yeah. And sometimes that's the only option. I mean, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And uh, so someone who has 
a six-figure job and whose parents were, you know, they come from an intact family from parents who also had six-figure jobs and stuff. Yeah. They know, oh, I got a traffic ticket. I'm going to call and get that change from yeah. a moving violation. It's to amazing a, how it all And it's all taken up. care of and it goes away. Yeah. And so then there's no warrants issued. Yeah. I would say a huge portion of our people are caught up in the, the mm-hmm. sort of cycle of having warrants, suspended driver's license, you know, these sort of pending yeah. things that have just built up yeah, over it's time. It's one or two things that we're not taking care of yeah, that, and that snowball. Are, that are tiny, tiny mm-hmm. little things that become huge warrants that, that could completely disrupt your yeah, life. If they weren't in such a fragile situation, they would have taken care of them Absolutely. immediately. Yeah. Just like It's amazing the, yeah. the different barriers that can pop up. So we really are learning all the time about all of the different things that make it hard to sustain a sort of level of stability. And especially when our students are just getting out and just, you know, one flat tire can can cause major mm-hmm. issues. Because they're not paying for roadside assistance. No. They can't just make no. a phone call and no. boom, someone is there to no. take care of it. They have to call I mean, a friend or relative a who yeah. has to wait till they get off work to come. Yeah. And it may be days before that car gets off the roadside, yeah. in which time it gets a ticket for sitting on the roadside. Yes. Yeah. We truly believe that this all has to be an integrative model um, in addressing generational poverty. And that means really looking at all sides of the problem. We don't fool ourselves into thinking that we can take on everything and be 100% of everything. But we do recognize the importance of having integrated partnerships with people in our community, organizations in our community. We have just an amazing support system because it, we can't, it can't be done in, in isolation. It can't be done in silos. And I think one of the reasons that Natasha Kirsch, the executive director, started this organization is that she saw a real problem with these organizations that were kind of working in silos and competing with each other for funding. And, and it was just, it was more like a, a zero sum game versus working together to address this, this problem that is super integrated and because it never works out when you kind of just try to get one piece of it solved, mm-hmm. but are, are fighting with all these other resources in the community. We should be working together. I'm always impressed when I do these interviews and there's an organization that was started by somebody who saw a problem mm-hmm. and took a step, even though at the beginning they didn't know where that step was going to lead. Absolutely. With Barquet, it was, why can't I take my dog with me to have a good time, someplace yep. we both can enjoy that's not a dog park where there's nothing for me yep. or a restaurant that I can't take my dog to, Yeah, which they did not visualize what Barquet is now, and it turned into that. Chef's yeah. Place, Russell Clothier was not even a dog person. Yeah. Neither was <laughs> Natasha when she <laughs> started this. And turned into a dog person yeah. and did not envision what Chef's Place has become. And so what Natasha has created yeah. from seeing, okay, here's an issue Somebody can do something. I guess I'm that somebody. Yeah, and, and she chose dog grooming because it was what her mom did. So mm-hmm. she didn't think through the human-animal bond. That came next. I think that's kind of why she hired me because I, I'm a social worker. I was trained at the University of Denver, and I worked closely with the Institute for Human-Animal Connection and, and got a certificate in animal-assisted social work, which is kind of a niche, mm-hmm. but it's so perfect for this job. And, and that's such a huge piece of what we do here that we've really taken it and been become intentional about how we, we utilize it. We have an occasional segment on dog words called Dogs Are Better Than Us. Yeah. And we just share stories of 
a dog that's done something selfless or something that can be an example for what if more humans behaved like this, yeah, what a great world this would be. I think the grooming project is an example of how some people are better than us because they're being selfless and they're doing something that needs to be done. And what makes it even better is the dogs are helping. Oh yeah, they people are. are learning from the dogs, and dogs are benefiting from it. Yep. and it's mutually and behold, beneficial. People are benefiting yeah. from it. So hopefully, the community, the entire you know the communities are benefiting from that, it. Yeah, that ripple effect is so powerful. So thank you for what you do, Betty Jean, and the rest of the grooming project, and Natasha for starting this. I'm looking forward to our next interview when you tell us about more things that are happening with the grooming project and more exciting initiatives that are part of this we will definitely come back to talk to you thank you so much for sharing time with us betty thank you so much for having me i'm phil hatterman and you've been listening to dog words presented by rosie fund First, I want to thank alternative string duo The Wires, featuring cellist Sasha Groshong and violinist Laurel Morgan Parks, for playing the wonderful music you've heard on today's and previous episodes of Dog Words. Learn more about The Wires at thewires.info and download their music on iTunes. Of course, I also want to thank our guest, Betty Jean Coran, the Grooming Project's Director of Student Services. Visit thegroomingproject.org for more information, including updates on their response to COVID-19. As of the posting of this episode of Dog Words, the Grooming Project School and Lee Summit Salon are both closed to the public through April 24th. During the closure, the Grooming Project plans to continue providing students with a weekly stipend of $125, even though they lose $2,000 in grooming revenue every week the school is closed. Ongoing closure impacts the organization's ability to respond to the needs of their students and recent graduates, many of whom are already financially at risk. Show our friends at The Grooming Project the compassion and generosity of the Dog Words community by making a donation at thegroomingproject.org. Any amount will be greatly appreciated and very beneficial for this important cause. When The Grooming Project resumes offering grooming services, steps will be taken to accommodate social distancing. If you'd like to schedule a grooming appointment for after April 24th, call now and leave a message at 816-214-5376. Again, the links and the phone numbers for both the Grooming Project and the Salon are in the description for this episode. On a related note, remember that dog groomers, like many small business owners, operate on very thin profit margins. If you and your groomer are not in a shelter at home, city, or state, help them out by making an appointment. If your immunity is compromised, ask a caregiver to take your pet in for you. Even if you are staying at home, still set up an appointment for after the restrictions have been lifted. Your groomer will appreciate knowing that you haven't forgotten them and consider prepaying for your appointment or buying a gift card. Business owners still have rent, utilities, insurance, employees, and other ongoing expenses. If your groomer has not already done so, ask them to institute social distancing before you make your appointment. Like many veterinary clinics, groomers can use procedures such as calling from the car for your dog to be picked up at the curb and taking payment over the phone to minimize personal contact. If we help each other, we'll get through this together. That's the only way we can. Support Rosie Fund by following us on social media. Links to our pages are at rosiefund.org. We need donations to continue helping senior and harder-to-adopt dogs find their forever homes, but we also understand that many people need to watch their finances right now. And if you have to choose between donating to Rosie Fund and helping the grooming project, help the people. We'll still be here helping dogs now and after this craziness passes. 
But if you don't make a donation to Rosie Fund, and even if you do, you can help grow Rosie Fund for free. So as the economy rebounds, we can leverage the generosity of dog lovers around the world. The more followers we have, the more exposure we get, and then we raise more money. Even the followers who aren't making donations are valuable because they give Rosie Fund much needed exposure. So please, subscribe to and share the free Rosie Fund YouTube channel. It gives you access to all of our videos, including some exclusive content, like our archive of the inspiration for Rosie Fund, Rosalita Patience, and Rosie Fund Ambassador, Peach's Delight. There's also outtakes and behind-the-scenes footage from our featured dog videos and extended videos of shelter dogs. Find our channel by searching for Rosie Fund on YouTube or using the link at rosiefund.org. Also click on the links at rosiefund.org for Facebook and Instagram. Reposting and sharing our social media content helps us grow. You may be doing more shopping from home, so please make Rosie Fund your charity with Amazon Smile. And if not Rosie Fund, any charity of your choice. It costs you nothing. Amazon has money to give to charities and wants your help in identifying worthy causes. And finally, use your favorite podcast service to download and subscribe to Dog Words. Remember, please share this podcast. Growing the podcast leads to sponsorships. Then Rosie Fund can help more dogs. Send us your comments, questions, and suggestions via the website. And let us know if you would like to be a sponsor of the Dog Words Podcast. Thank you for listening. And remember, we save each other.